No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and this week on the program, I once again have nobody. I'm actually going to pivot away from the Notable Death series that I've been doing and work on something new that I've been percolating on for a bit um, about funerals as a whole. But before I get to that, I wanted to do the little, you know, weekly housekeeping that I always do to say thank you for listening at all, period. It always is a mind blower that I can look at stats and see who's listening where and think, how did that person find me other than just arbitrarily Googling Uh, some keywords. So thank you for listening. I appreciate it as always. It means the world that anybody would take the time out of the day to do this. Um, If you've got questions, comments, feedback, please let me know at uh, yourdead2 at gmail or on Twitter or Instagram at yourdead2, Y-O-U-R-E-D-E-A-D-T-O-O. Very easy to find and uh, happy to take feedback just to say I'm on the right track or if there's anything I need to address, I'm happy to hear it. And I'm still taking questions and comments for a listener feedback episode because I think that'd be a lot of fun to do. Um, Just kind of get through some basic ideas of what it is we're doing here, what I can help people understand about me and what I've learned so far, or just address thoughts and comments that people have because... I want to hear what you guys think. I'm curious who's listening to this. So, as I said, um, this week I'm taking a break from the Notable Death series. Actually intending to do a deeper dive on going into funerals and what they are for people. So, um, without further ado, let's just jump right to it. So let's put the fun back in funeral, huh? What I'm doing here is looking to understand a bit more about the broader concept initially, and then I also want to get into some deeper details of what are funerals for humanity. I'll actually get to the idea of the humanity bias shortly, but uh, I just I want to figure out a bit more about what they are. So. I'm going to be doing a larger overview today, but then I want to actually go in and do deep dives on particular types of funerals, whether it's a religious um, aspect to it, like comparing uh, Christian versus Muslim versus Jewish versus uh, Buddhist versus Baha'i, like whatever the religion may be, they're going to have a clear and indelible mark on the ceremony that it is, but like, what do we do to take a step back even further than that to understand what a funeral actually is? So I want to look at initially the larger concept and then get into permutations of it to see what what do I know? What do I think I know? What's out there? So I'm obviously going to have a Western bias about this. I was, um, if you've been listening at all so far, it shouldn't really be a surprise that I was raised in a Lutheran household in the Midwest, which is a pretty Um, inoffensive generic brand of Christianity that is basically based around the golden rule. Um, I have had my own times to investigate it and learned how to first buck the system and then find ways to incorporate it into my own life and, you know, observe it from more of a a distance at this point, but just really understand what makes a a religion tick uh, involves kind of dissecting it and unfortunately vivisecting it sometimes, depending on whether your faith is living or dead. Um, That's kind of the nature of it, though. Not unlike taking apart a joke, it kind of falls apart on the operating table. You have to kind of trust in what it is as a living thing. Maybe that's not making sense. Point is, um, 
I looked into my own faith and um, had the fortune to do so with a household that encouraged it and people that were um, willing to let me go on my own path. Additionally, spent time in institutions where I, uh, when I say institutions, I mean educational institutions, not uh, mental health or like um, uh, penitentiary. <laughs> but I'm fortunate to have had the experience of getting out of my own initial environment to see what other things are, and I'd like to continue to do so and to foster that exploration into the world at large, because frankly, I, I really believe that variety is the spice of life, that without it, you know, life is just monotony. You need to go out and experience the other. That's a basic tenet of human exploration at this point in time. So uh, what I'm saying is that this is going to be a multi-part thing. Uh, my intent is to certainly keep it going as consistently week to week as possible. I'd rather not, you know, abandon for a week and come back, and it might involve me uh, kind of uh, sandbagging a couple of interviews to make sure that I've got some things in the hopper should something arise, but I'd like to continue to just make this an ongoing project and dig in uh, on a regular basis to figure out these things kind of building on top of each other. Additionally, this isn't really about me finding out about the afterlife so much. I really want to focus on just the the act of the funeral itself or the funereal custom of how do people bury the dead or what do we do when presented with a dead body because this is something that, again, it's at the core of what I'm trying to do here with the podcast. It's about the fact that we don't talk about this and that it's inevitable for everybody and it's it's not necessarily a morbid fascination for me it's the idea that this is going to happen and we're all pretending it's not you know we're all kind of not talking about the elephant in the room or like not acknowledging the big drunken scene at the cocktail party this is something that we are trained biologically and socially to not really engage with and yet it's shaping all that we do it's this huge void that's or maybe it's acting as dark matter that we don't really look into what this is unless we're forced to through circumstance or you know existential crisis kind of questions of who am I what am I doing here so I just I'm so fascinated by it it's just it's the greatest mystery you know nobody comes back from it and I want to know more um but where do you start you know I don't I don't want to just focus on the religious aspect of it because that I think that's better understood by talking to people and I certainly enjoy talking to people, and I really want people to have the opportunity to share their stories. So that's really why I like having guests on to talk about their perspective because, you know, I would just dig into my own over and over again, and eventually I'm just tilling the same earth. I'm just throwing the same mud out there without anything new. So I really like getting people's personal perspectives to give the nuance of their own individualist experience on the planet. Um, so that's why I want to focus on just the rituals itself. Like, what is it about human, you know, homo sapien, a big hairless ape, comes across a dead body, we have a reaction to it that's both physiological and mental, and what drives those? What what causes us to have that, and what do we do? How have we learned to deal with that over time? Uh, it's kind of a hard thing to figure out where to start exactly, but, you know, what from a larger perspective, I wanted to find out, are we alone in this practice? Like, is this just humanity doing this? And to a certain extent, 
no, we're not. Uh, Homo sapiens are not the only animal on this planet to have observed funeral rites, as best I can understand. If you actually go and dig around on the internet and um, if I <laughs> in, um, in, a, in a moment of honesty here that uh, is more, I guess, candid. I'm always trying to be honest in this podcast, but just frankness. Um, if you want to hear sources that I can cite for this, I can certainly put those online, but uh, just in the sake of expediency and uh, lack of concern on being a smaller podcast, nobody's really clamoring for the source material on this, and if there were specific uh, tomes, you know, I like would be more than happy to say this book in particular gave me this site or, you know, this person's interview talked about this, but generally I'm going to just um, speak at large about the information that I've gathered and try to offer that as a condensed um, summation rather than saying, here's the bullet points to take away from this particular author. So getting back to this, let's rewind for just a second. Um, no, we're not alone in doing uh, rituals for the dead. Homo sapiens certainly do it. Uh, there's been evidence in the archaeological record of Neanderthals, so our um, our predecessors genetically and evolutionarily, they actually have been shown as long as 300,000 years ago to have practiced some sort of ritual at death that suggests that there were um, deceased Neanderthals who had flower petals covering the body. Now, it's certainly possible that in the burial process of well, let me explain a little bit in more detail. Um, the scientists doing the digging in um, an archaeological dig in uh, the UK, I believe it was in England, uh, but I don't know exactly where it was. It escapes me at the moment. But again, hunt me down on Twitter for an actual sighting of the example. Uh, point is, they found a burial site for Neanderthals that had multiple instances of bodies where there was the presence of uh, flower pollen on the bodies that would suggest not just exposure to the elements, but actually that the bodies were at some point covered in flowers would be the more likely explanation. While they do grant that it's possible that rodents perhaps entering the burial site could have brought flower pollen with them, like uh, field mice crossing a field and then entering a burial site. But that's not a guarantee. So we have that example of we believe that these Neanderthals were practicing some sort of burial rite by not just chucking a body in a river and saying, there it goes. You know, they dug a hole, stuck it in the ground, and covered it in flowers. That seems to suggest some sort of rite, but, you know, it's the human mind's predilection for putting a system or putting a pattern or recognizing a face shape on things is... Uh, certainly a starting point for corruption of idea that we think it looks like a thing that we know, so therefore it must be the thing that we know. That's not a guarantee. But again, not just humans. There are other animals that seem to do this as well. Um, as a larger scientific body, the understanding seems to be that animals don't practice organized religion like mankind does. There are certain uh, apes that are close enough to us genetically in modern day that exhibit some behavior that seems to resemble an acknowledgement of the ethereal or the non-tangible. Um, among them, uh, primarily, the biggest example would be elephants, actually. Um, in talking about great apes, there's, there's some things that you can point to for uh, funerals or... Um, 
mourning of the dead, but really the more fascinating example, frankly, is elephants, that elephants <laughs> have been found to just shake sticks at the moon. Like, they recognize the changing cycle of waning, full, waxing, and new moons that uh, elephants seem to have an acknowledgement of celestial activity, and they take notice of it, and they shake sticks at it and say, hey, new moon, I recognize you again. It's crazy. That blows my mind that elephants do that. Additionally, they practice burial practices where in the wild they will inter their dead in mud or uh, push them into the earth. That There seems to be some kind of practice where the elephants recognize this elephant is no more uh, and then do something with it as a result, not just abandon it and walk away, but to actually do something with the body. Uh, similarly, dolphins, um, another highly sentient animal that we're finding more and more about on a regular basis, not only are they able to recognize themselves in mirrors, which I, th I find endlessly fascinating, but they, they have been shown to uh, mourn and kind of guard the dead. Um, there are multiple recorded instances of dolphins that have basically just almost like sat shiv with the body where they um, just stay close to the deceased dolphin and don't let researchers or anybody or other dolphins get close. It's like they're acting in a, in a mournful, private, uh, grieving manner, which it's just, I find that so fascinating and so kind of cosmically spooky that these other animals have concepts of something is no longer there. I mean, the, the physical body is, but what made that thing that thing, what created that entity is no longer there. And it's, as somebody who wrestles with the idea of um, an eternal being, if there's a soul, if there's a permanent nature to our spirituality, it's, I wrestle with that. And it's just, it's so wild for me to think that these things recognize that too. It just, it feels like a glimpse at an alien planet. And it, it's, you know, it smacks of a bias to say that I can't believe anything else would have that perspective or have that view of their mind. But it simultaneously makes humanity feel more special and less special, knowing that there are things else out there on the planet that have a similar experience. And that just, that has such huge ramifications for how we should see the rest of the planet. But that helps shape my understanding of it. So what what is happening there? Is it is it spiritual? Is it animal? Is it just this physical thing? Is it I mean, is it learned or is it passed on or, you know, what where does this come from? Is this an emergent thing? It would be fascinating to be able to see if we could dig in and find out does this just happen as emergent behavior? Like if you create an intelligent enough species of animal, do they just independently create this myth? I mean, we, somebody had to start somewhere. This didn't just happen. So something gives rise to it. Something in a conscious experience marks the arrival of new life and the end of life with some kind of ceremony or some kind of acknowledgement but what spark triggers that? Is that something that's ephemeral and just arbitrary based on a rolling of the spiritual and cosmic dice? Or is it something that, you know, it's it's like a chemical level of 
once there's enough serotonin present in the brain, you start to recognize uh, a world outside of your own and a worldview that's beyond yours. Like, it just, I, I'm so curious about that, and it's such a difficult thing to, like, ontologically prove without removing yourself from the equation. I don't know, maybe it is just uh, neurons and chemicals firing off in a brain, but it sure seems like there's something happening on a level that doesn't just speak to physicality of it. There seems to be something more there, but maybe that's just my own uh, bias having grown up around this stuff. And I don't know. Something has to be learned that we pass down. Like, it makes me think about um, the first time I heard my kiddo playing with a toy car and making vroom vroom noises. And you think about the fact that cars have only existed for you know, going back 150-ish years, at some point there was the first person to make that vroom-vroom noise to convey the sound of an internal combustion engine to a child with a little toy car going vroom. And since then, that's all been handed down and is yet pervasive. And, like, we just take that for granted as a culture. So on a on a similar level, there's got to be something that is it's so ingrained that it becomes difficult to figure out what would a culture look like without it? How did we... How did we originally pass this down? And that's what I want to better understand about doing all of this. So, like I said, we're we're going to dig into this. And, you know, it goes back beyond human antiquity into pre-human, proto-human eras. Does this then go the other direction? Does this push farther out into humanity as a whole? Is this pervasive among all cultures? You know, what what commonalities are there? What kind of practices do, do you do? What what does this look like across humanity? What idiosyncrasies show up? You know, similarly how language is just this malleable thing and culture is something that's in, just idiosyncratic to each specific grouping of humans of like 50 or more. What what does this look like? And it's it's amazing to see that there are it's it's highly highly predictable and stable looking across humanity, that this is a commonality that is at the core of what we do. Like, if there are people, this is something that happens. It's not a guarantee as a law of science, like uh, relativity or gravity or, um, you know, something demonstrable like that or a chemical reaction. It's it's that it's just omnipresent with humanity. It is present enough that it's highly predictable, i.e. you would most likely find it if there are people there. So what are the what are the five anchors towards having funereal services? What are the five key points to it? They are um, significant symbols, a gathered community, a ritual action, a cultural heritage, and a transition of the body. So those five basic tenets are all considered the anchors of what is a funereal practice or what is across humanity. So significant symbols would be um, visual or auditory, something to mark the occasion, something that is non-literal. So a depiction of the moon or a depiction of uh, the person's soul in transit or some kind of renewal cycle symbol, a flower or a plant growing again, something that shows the example of here is what is physical, but there is something beyond this, a symbol to show we're talking about this shared thing that we agree means this. 
um, kind of getting to the basic abstracts of language, it's the idea of, hey, we all agree this thing means something, and it's not what it exactly looks like on paper. It's this other thing. We all have imagination. Here's this thing that we're gathering together for. And to the point then, gathered community. Yes, people do mourn and grieve in private, but an inherent part of a funereal practice is the uh, the gathering of the community, whether it's just a small nuclear family or if it's a larger community as a whole to grieve together. People don't just do this alone by themselves. There is something innate to what we do, innate to our hardwiring that seems to say, circle the wagons, bring the people in, and observe this together. Um, I don't know what that is if it's... Uh, if that's you know hardwired in our brain as part of a survival technique, or maybe it's uh, a shared ritual, but the ritual action is the next piece to it. So there is something you know a cosmic dance that we do that is not just improvised and like oh this time I guess we're gonna do this and then we'll read this story and then we'll tell this joke and then we bury the person and then this time we're gonna do it this way. It's an act that is repeated in a ritualistic manner. So there is uh, some sort of solemnity to it. Uh, there is. Um, uh, you know, a process, start to finish, A to B to C to D, to show here's the thing that we do when somebody passes. It's the same for this person and the same for this person. It's a uniting experience to show that there's a, a shared faith or community or some kind. Um, but whatever it is, it comes from that cultural heritage that's just not a random amalgamation of people. It's people that are all together in a community. It's a a commonality to it. So in a larger gathering of people, you know, a city size, you'll have pockets of community of people of similar faith, and then you expand that on the micro and macro scales, and you see, okay, either it's people that are living in a small agrarian community or hunter-gatherers that want to um, be mindful of their lifestyle, or it's organized religion in a modern setting. There's some kind of cultural lineage going from present day back to a past that they recognize we did this before it's important that we keep doing this and they're doing it as a transition of the body it's you know whether it's the body goes from above the ground to below the ground or from uh, static to cremated or from uh, something to something it's a transition it's the act of change. It's that it is no longer the person that we knew, the person that was the person. They are now the vessel or the shell or something that is no longer the same. It is expired. Um, those those five anchor points, those are going to give rise to everything that I'm going to be looking into. So it's going to be interesting to watch for those and keep note to see how do those manifest in different ways. What, what does a different culture or a different religion or a different uh, even climate produce for practices and beliefs you know it's one thing to have desert surrounding you does that impact how you inter the dead does the sand hold or does it give way too easily you know do you have to find specific areas of earth or do you practice cremation uh my ancestors in norway i'm sure you know nine months ten months out of the year the ground is too cold to dig into so what do you do um is that why the viking practice of putting somebody on a boat and lighting it on fire and sending it out into the ocean started, I have no idea, and I'm fully willing to copy the fact that I, I'm just 
pulling stuff out of the air here. I don't know because uh, I need to dig into it. This is why I want to know. Because right now in America, it seems very strange if you just pull back for a second and think about a funereal procession where we drive from a church to a, a cemetery to bury somebody. Like we all get in cars and go. That just seems so weird and absurd that we just, as part of the the, the process of laying somebody to rest, we all get in a station wagon or, uh, you know, a, a pickup and go from A to B that just, like, you have to buckle a seatbelt. What a strange and little romantic gesture of life safety in the middle of a funeral. And, you know, just that kind of unacknowledged bias. I want to look into that. I want to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, there's different roles that people have. There's going to be priests or, you know, religious figures that are involved in the process that lead the process. There are lay people that are there to simply observe or pay respects. There are um, people in the community that have different roles in this that I'm curious to learn about as well that I don't want to just assume, well, everybody's a bystander, take pictures on your phone, and here we go. Like, I want to figure out what, what are our roles. I mean, just the barest amount of research so far has already paid up in that there were people called mutes who were paid to stand around, be quiet, and look sad at the homes of people in the 1700s in England. Like, that's insane that you just had people stand around looking solemn or that there are professional mourners. That's something that somebody would be paid to do is to just wail and clutch at their clothing and clutch at their face and try to basically inspire others to cry. That's just, it's a bizarre practice that we don't continue in Western culture that I'm just so curious to learn about this stuff. Um, monuments as well. You know, if there is, whether or not there's a, a body left to inter, we put up gravestones or statues or some kind of monument to the dead that says this person was here and they are no more and please remember them for this. Like you you die the two deaths, the the one where you take your last breath and then where somebody remembers you for the last time that everybody has these two existences of a corporeal and a non-corporeal existence. So I'm just so excited to dig into this and find out more and share it with people and um Additionally, look into vessels that we use. It's going to be an examination of coffins, urns, um, mausoleums. We do all sorts of different things for uh, basically interring the dead or setting a shrine or a monument to people. So what does that look like? How does that manifest across culture? Um, and whether or not you wash the body. Uh, previous guest Brenda Hartman talked about that quite a bit, and I had asked her during the interview what what does that mean for people? Why does that seem to come back as a, a commonality or a continuing thread? And she said it's really, it's it's surprising to see the reaction among people of who wants to have their loved one washed and cleaned and who believes that they can just be as is and lie in state. It's really, it's a fascinating thing that you just, you don't consider the other options until you're suddenly faced with them and you think, oh my gosh, I never even thought of that because it just is so... Uh, unacknowledged or like intrinsic to who people are um so i'm really excited to dig into this i hope it doesn't sound too morbid and creepy in the sense of uh, a disrespectful fascination it really i want to find out more and better understand what these practices are so i can better understand what our human experience is um if you're 
at all willing to, please write in and share your experiences. Uh, my uh, friend and past guest, Canute, uh, actually had sent me a photo of um, a funeral practice when he was traveling. Uh, I believe it was India. I could, uh, I'll have to look up the email to see exactly what it was, but it involved um, uh, a funeral pyre and uh, burning the body. And it was both sacred and profane. It was profound. It was really intense to see. So I really uh, want to get his permission, obviously, but I just I want to share that with people. And it's just fascinating to see that this is what happens out there. I, I don't want to shy away from the the reality of life. There's a there's a a real vast opportunity of unseen knowledge to really gain that I'm, I'm curious about. So I look forward to hearing from people and uh, doing further research, but uh, this is really, I'm excited to do this, but this has been uh, the first steps into the investigation of what funerals are and how they manifest across humanity. So stick around and I will, uh, I'll see you next week.